This is John Borowski, filmmaker of Serial Killer Films, and you are listening to Murder Metal Mayhem. Spreading faster than a case of the clap in a trailer court. Able to shatter eardrums within a 666-mile radius. A podcast more brutal than all the rest. It's Murder Metal What's up, you motherfuckers? We're doing that Tuesday thing and bringing in episode 76. We got a brutal one in store tonight. Uh, Chris, though, will not be here with me tonight. This is the first time in 76 episodes he's not here, but he is on a very special podcast assignment. We're keeping that top secret for right now. So I'm going to be solo tonight for parts of this, but have no fear. We do have some friends helping out while Chris is gone, and more on that later on. Last week, we hit another milestone with episode 75. Crazy to see those milestones fly by as we close in on number 100. Uh, We'll see... uh, You guys dug that Shaker's episode last week, Shaker's Cigar Bar, the most haunted bar in the United States. We had such a good time up there in Milwaukee uh, earlier in October and put together a podcast that we thought captured the essence of Shaker's. Definitely a very special place, and Bob Weiss, the owner, really liked it. And so if Bob thinks it's good, it's definitely going to be something you're going to want to check out. So if you missed it, go listen to that episode 75. Uh, We had a ton of stuff from the seance uh, that we did, the ghost tour, uh, listening to Dead Man's Carnival, the house band, and the whole experience staying the night. So book a tour of your own at hangmantours.com. Now for this week, we're going to be doing a feature on one that you probably don't know about. I bet a lot of you don't. Um, But have no fear, he is one sick, sadistic piece of shit. Uh, Kenneth McDuff, also known as the Broomstick Killer. Uh, His story is definitely crazy. And since he was from Texas, of course we had to bring in our buddy Tex to sit in on the murder segment and talk about this case with us. So I'm really anxious to get text on the text on the line so that this way he can weigh in on this because it is pretty fucked up. Um, and if you guys haven't heard of text before, um, he's you're in for a treat because his background is working in prisons in the state of Texas. So for something like this, it's definitely an invaluable uh, vantage point. Uh, we've had him in on the Texas Seven episode. We had him talk uh, with us when we did the New Mexico prison riot. And so anything that had to do with prisons or uh, the state of Texas, we like to get him involved. So, yeah, you're definitely in for a treat if you have not heard Tex on one of these podcasts before. Uh, We got CK, of course, raring and ready to fucking go over there on Wildman Street in Danbury, Connecticut. He's going to be doing his feature on Life of Agony. I don't know much about that band, uh, so I'm anxious to hear what he's got to say. Um, He's uh, got a lost classic, of course, to talk about. 
So we're going to dig into that metal knowledge when CK calls in later during the metal segment. Of course, he's just a fucking beast. Uh, got a new killer cage match this week. Of course, always got to have that because you guys really dig on uh, killer cage match. I, I enjoy doing them as well. So big thanks going out to Cody Durst, Nikki Judy, and Tommy Davis for providing the random numbers this time around. You guys kick fucking ass. Uh, we, we've got an interesting one. I mean, some of these are just hilarious. This one is one of those. Uh, we got Pee Wee Gaskins, all fucking four foot whatever of him, going up against the shotgun-wielding psycho Ronnie DeFeo, which is funny that Ronnie DeFeo came up this time because we just did uh, the DeFeo murders, of course, in our Amityville Horror uh, live podcast at the Dark History and Horror Convention this past weekend with our buddies from the Black Crypt podcast. And we recorded that on stage, and it did turn out pretty good. It's about 40, 45 minutes long, and uh, we're going to probably use that at some point for a bonus episode. And we're going to talk more about the convention because it was really good. Uh, had a really, really good time there in Champaign, Illinois. Uh, speaking of the convention, we've got an interview with serial killer documentarian John Borowski. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. Uh, we've interviewed him uh, last year at the convention. Our booth was right across from his this year, so it was perfect. And we got to talk with him about his new movie coming out about John Wayne Gacy. Uh, definitely going to be a good one when that's ready and, re and, uh, and released. Uh, so it'll be interesting. We're going to play that later. It's like seven and a half, eight minutes long. And uh, so we'll play that later in the uh, Mayhem segment. So check that out. A uh, huge, huge thanks to our new friend Tony at Spellbound Effects and Art. He is fucking just killing it over there in Florida. Does amazing art with silicone like body parts and shit like that. Uh, you guys have seen the forearm that we have with the Murder Metal Mayhem carved into it. Uh, Tony's the guy that made that happen. Uh, he's got all kinds of cool shit. If you've seen some of the stuff we've been sharing on Facebook with the lamps that look like they're fucking made with skin and uh, Ed Gein style stuff, uh, definitely killer. And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit more about Tony and Spellbound Effects and Art later. So go check out his killer online catalog at Spellbound Effects and art.com and that's fx uh with that uh when you go type that in uh, we'll also link to it of course in our episode description uh, also go check out psychokillerbobbleheads.com talk about some sick shit these guys got a 16 uh killer collection of bobbleheads gacy ramirez Gein, um dorothea puente he's they got some really good ones so go check it out psychokillerbobbleheads.com tell them murder metal mayhem sent you they'll get the order out right away um so definitely go do that great fucking christmas gifts there grandma would love a fucking pogo bobblehead i mean seriously and your aunt mabel might love the fucking anton LaVey. she might be a secret fucking closet fucking satanist i don't fucking know but they are really cool and very very um authentic and realistic looking 
Uh, we got some updates on my new book that just came out on Halloween, Creation of Chaos, Volume 2, 12 Ways to Make You Die. Another uh, nice holiday gift you can get for a family member. Uh, short Story Collection has a few really good ones in there. A new one that I just did called The Wreath. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, also, we've got some updates on the Murder Metal Mayhem Activity book, which is called The Coffee Table Book That Should Be Nowhere Near a Coffee Table. Uh, definitely getting very close. Dathan Angles finishing up the art and uh, all everything's all coming together. Here in the next couple of weeks, hopefully, we'll get that order placed so we can get those in before Christmas. So we'll keep you posted on that because you got to have one of those. I mean, seriously, how often can you color a picture with uh, Ricky Casso or fucking uh, Joe Matheny? It's going to be in there. We've even got uh, Dathan did a picture of the couch. Uh, we all know anybody that's listening to the show knows all about the couch fucker. This would be post-couch fucking, and it's pretty disgusting, and you could color that, and you could put that on the fridge and show off to your neighbors and friends coming over that you can actually color within the fucking lines. I know I can't, but I'm sure some of you out there can. And we got fucking word searches in there. It's going to be funny as hell. So we'll talk about that a little bit more later. So we got a lot going on. Texas standing by. Uh, to talk about a Texas-sized piece of shit and a controversy that definitely shook up the entire prison system for years. So I think it's about that time. Let's get our murder on. A new book by Pete Altieri is coming to Blunt Force Press on Halloween 2019. Creation of Chaos 2, 12 Ways to Make You Die. Author Amanda Howard says it's brilliantly terrifying and terrifyingly brilliant. 12 stories to curdle your blood. A subterranean dwelling provides 99 years of imprisonment and acts as the doorway that leads to hell. A small-town doctor in the 1700s allows his home to be used for patients sick with smallpox and loses his mind as the bodies pile up. A patient arrives at a mental hospital, claiming to be possessed by a demon that holds the key to a precious gift, and three priests are determined to take it from him at any cost. All this and much more are waiting for you within the pages of Creation of Chaos, Volume 2, 12 Ways to Make You Die, bonus stories by Angel Rosa, Sue Rovins, and Alex Crow. Order your physical copy now at creationofchaos.com. Free bookmark with each order. Ebook version is available on Amazon. All right, that was the uh, commercial I did for Creation of Chaos, Volume 2, the new book that I've got out. 
and before that was Vital Remains. So throwing down some fucking death metal to start off the night. Getting ourselves in a frame of mind to do some killing here because Tex, it's always good to have you back here on Murder Metal Mayhem. How you been, man? Been pretty good, man. A lot of uh, a lot of work at prison. Yeah, um, my Nationals won the World Series. I see good. that. I I figured you were going to want to bring that up. Yes, yes, yes. Go Nat. That's awesome, man. I mean, it's cool that they won. You know, it's nice to see teams that haven't won before win it. You know, or been a long time type of thing. Right. And of course, they got hot right at the right time too. So that was, that's uh, that's usually what it is in baseball. It's the long haul, and, and it's cool. So congratulations to your Nationals there for winning the World Series. Um, and of course, just had a Halloween. Uh, how did you uh, did you celebrate Halloween this year, Tex? I did, man. My wife made me go uh, the clown costume. Dude, that was the fucking bomb, man. That's got to be the best pogo costume I've ever seen in my life. That was really fucking good, man. Hey, I, I told her I hope my makeup skills, you know, were were just a smidge as good as her sewing and stuff. Yeah. I went out on the highway behind my house and was waving the cars. Oh, my God. Were, <laughs> it was cool shit. Oh, that's fucking awesome, man. I wonder how many people went home and said, you're not going to believe what I just saw. <laughs> that's great, man. That's really good. Well, that's cool. I did not uh, do that sort of thing, but I was at a convention uh, the weekend before with a bunch of horror shit going on. I had the Leatherface from Texas Chainsaw 2 and had some really cool stuff there. I got myself an exorcism kit at the convention which is pretty cool here in the studio now so yeah very cool stuff but uh as you know man we've got a very brutal case to talk about tonight with kenneth mcduff i know when we first started doing these with you i brought him up and you were definitely wanting to get in on this and i love the way you put it so succinctly he's a real turd so i think that was a really good way to put that, man. <laughs> yeah, he's floating now. Yeah, he's floating. that's for sure. I actually felt like I needed to take a, not one but two showers after learning more about it, what he did to these poor women. I mean, we've talked about some awful people here, but he, I don't know, man, just something really fucking sleazy about him that just really just makes my stomach fucking turn. And I bet a lot of people don't know much about him, so I'm, I'm kind of anxious. Now, were you in Texas when McDuff was caught or when he was eventually executed? Man, you know, looking at the timeline, I, I was. Uh, you know, we, we had just uh, graduated basic and came down to Fort Hood together. Right. Um, but to be honest with you, at that time, I was more into what 20-year-olds are into. You know? Right. Yeah. Uh, First time away from home. So, yeah, I was down here, but I didn't really pay any attention to, to what was going on then. Yeah, I do remember seeing it on the news because they were talking about it quite a bit. But like you, I wasn't really following it. It was, you know, something that I, I was aware of. Um, but it wasn't until we started doing this podcast, looking at the timeline, like you said, 
when we would have been there, uh, would have been at this time, but it wasn't something that I was like right in the middle of it either. So now I'm guessing a lot of the listeners are not familiar with him. Um, uh, cause he was captured in 92. Um, and so definitely a very controversial case. And I'm kind of anxious to get into this one. Um, he was born 1946 in Rosebud, Texas. Now that's a small town, about a thousand people in East central Texas. He was the fifth of six kids and his father, John Allen had a thriving concrete business that was in operation during the big construction boom of the 60s in Texas. Now his mom, uh, kind of an interesting character here, Addie, known around Rosebud as the pistol packing mama because it was said she pulled a gun on a school bus driver that kicked Kenneth's brother off the bus one day. That's definitely a very Texas thing to do. Uh, Addie would defend Kenneth and was one of the reasons he was able to get away with so much as a kid and definitely into his adult life. So Tex, Addie sounds like a real winner, the pistol packing mama. Hey, Texas. But uh, yeah, (laughs) when you start out uh, life like that with your mom, everything you do okay no wonder how all of them really turned out but especially Kenneth here yeah I mean we talk about a lot of these cases where these guys have these really fucked up childhoods some of them more so than others but yeah when you got a mom defending you to the point where she's shoving guns in people's face that's definitely kind of a recipe for disaster as we as we see with this guy Uh, Now, just like most bullies, McDuff got challenged and knocked down a few notches. Um, He picked up, um, you know, fights with with a kid. I I saw one uh, uh, thing that I read that it was a jock that just kicked his ass, you know, um, because, you know, he would pick on the kids that couldn't defend themselves. So when he actually got into a fight with a kid that could, uh, the kid kicked his ass got the better of him. Of course, he gets all embarrassed and winds up dropping out of school uh, to go to work as a laborer for his father's concrete business. Uh, But I don't think he liked that a whole lot. And I'm sure the resentment of being embarrassed at school probably didn't help, you know, his problem uh, that he was having dealing with others and definitely some anger issues. Now, Tex, uh, McDuff gets busted back then for some burglaries and he does some time. It sounds like starting his life of crime at that young of an age, which is probably not too uncommon among inmates. Wouldn't you agree? I would, man. And, and like we were going back to his mom defending him and all that stuff, he could call for a lot of petty stuff, and his mom would come and bail him out. You know? Right. It starts and escalates from there. Yeah, and he starts getting into trouble with the police and at a young age, and so it's just kind of setting him off on that bad course, you know. Now, McDuff is 18 years old in 1964. He gets convicted of 12 burglaries in three separate counties in Texas. He's given 12 four-year prison terms to be served concurrently. Somehow, this fucking dude gets paroled in 1965, Uh, It's another case of some career criminal slipping through the cracks. 
and being let out on the street to keep on committing more crimes. And this is one of those things we see a lot in these cases that we've done uh, to make matters even worse. Right after he's paroled, he gets into a fight, ends up back in prison, which you would think would be a good thing. But then they just let him right back out on the street. So, Tex, I know we're you know, going to be talking about the real overcrowding issue in the Texas prisons at this time. But was that just, I mean, how does this happen just to let trash like that out over and over again? It was a, a really a different world back then. Um, it's a pet criminal getting into fights, bar fights and stuff like that back then. You do your time on the inside and don't really cause any trouble, you're going to get paroled. So yeah, even, just, even if you're getting into fights? Yeah, that. Well, not. He probably wasn't in prison, so. Oh. So as long as it wasn't happening in prison, he would get paroled like that. Right. You know, time for good behavior. Right. All that stuff. Yeah, for sure. Now McDuff hooks up with a real winner. Uh, this guy, these guys crack me up with the three names. You know, the middle name. Uh, this guy's by the name of Roy Dale Green. At first, when I heard it, I thought his name was Roy Dale, but it's Roy Dale Green. But the way they say it in the documentary is making me laugh. Because, uh, again, it's a Texas thing. It didn't sound that out of the ordinary for him to have a name like that. Um, <laughs> sounds like a, a very hillbilly name, if you ask me. Um on August 6, 1966, get the 666 thing going on there if you didn't pick up on that. Uh, the two set off for a night of drinking and partying. Uh, earlier in the day, they were pouring concrete for McDuff's father's company, and now McDuff said he was looking for a woman. So definitely out there hitting the town. Um, at 10 p.m., they come upon a 17-year-old kid, uh, Robert Brand, uh, his girlfriend, Edna Louise Sullivan, who was 16, and Robert's 15-year-old cousin, Mark Dunham, or Dunman, uh, talk about having, you know, the worst luck, man. W- wrong place, wrong time, uh, standing by their car at a baseball field in Everman, Texas. So, Tex, I mean, just again, you know, just what awful luck these three had uh, running into these two fucking idiots. Yeah, you got the the bully and his little chihuahua. Right. Yep. I mean, he's just going to do whatever McDuff tells him to do. Uh, so armed with a thirty eight, McDuff ordered the three into a into the trunk of their Ford, and then he drove off with Roy Dale. Uh, in, in well, Roy Dale drove McDuff's Dodge Coronet. Um, and this has got to be some scary shit for these kids uh, being in this trunk. Uh, once he drives their car to an open field, he orders the girl out and has Roy Dale put her in his car. Uh, it's a little confusing with the switch in the cars here. Uh, he proceeds to fire shots from the 38 into the trunk at the two boys, despite their pleas for mercy. So he is one cold motherfucker. Um, he orders Roy Dale to wipe down the Ford and the gun for fingerprints. So, Tex, it takes one sadistic son of a bitch to do some shit like that, man. Hey, Pete, man, it's just it's like another night, you know, just right. some other night. 
Yeah, it's crazy to think, but you're right. I mean, he did shit like this all the time. This one, of course, went a little far. But, yeah, I mean, he's just a very violent guy and very cold, kind of typical. A lot of these uh, killers that we talk about is they don't have a conscience. So, you know, you or I would feel awful. But to them, like you said, just another night, it's, it's freaking crazy. Now, McDuff and Roy Dale Green drive off with Edna in the car and take her to another location where she's raped repeatedly. Uh, Roy Dale was told to give McDuff something to strangle her with, and he gave him his belt. Apparently, McDuff didn't like that and opted opted for a piece of a broomstick handle he had in his car. And this is just fucked, man. He sat on her chest, put the broomstick across her throat to choke her out, uh, body was dumped in some bushes. Uh, Roy Dale claims he was forced to rape her and participate. I don't really believe that fucking hillbilly piece of shit either. Tex looks like old Roy Dale got a change of heart and spilled his guts uh, to the parents of a friend who told his parents and then convinced them to go to the police. He tells the story to the cops. But what do you think about all that? Looks like... Uh Oh, Kenneth, he kind of picked the wrong dude to pile around <laughs> with, or Roy Dale did, really, but, sure. you know. No, I is- agree. Yeah, I mean, he, he Roy Dale didn't take much to get him to, to, you know, spill the beans, and so, of course, that's uh, McDuff's undoing. Now, he had buried the gun near Roy Dale's garage, and once Roy Dale turns McDuff into the police, the law comes crashing down on him, of course. Uh, McDuff gets sentenced to three death sentences in the Texas electric chair, but Roy Dale, for his cooperation, gets a reduced sentence and is let out 11 years later. Um, I'm sure he went on to win the Nobel Peace Prize. Sounds like that kind of a guy, you know. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's where the wheels of justice justice get a little bit wonky and wind up falling off because McDuff's death sentence is commuted to life when the death penalty was overturned. And so Tex, my question to you, is that a Texas thing or was that a nationwide federal thing with the death penalty? That was a nationwide federal thing. It was the Supreme court. Um, they proposed a moratorium on the death penalty because they said it was unconstitutional. Uh, with McDuff, this dude, time and time and time again, at the right place at the right time to make all this stuff happen. It's real It is. It's crazy. But, yeah, I mean, they so they overturn all the death penalties. So, like you said, he's been walking between the raindrops. He winds up getting his fucking sentence commuted to life. So he hires an attorney who puts together this dossier of information that supposedly made it look pretty convincing that Roy Dale was the one that killed Edna. Uh, Some members of the parole board were impressed by this, and this came at the perfect time with the prison overcrowding issues getting out of hand, and they're letting people out of prison left and right. Uh, They actually believe that McDuff could still contribute to society as fucking crazy as that sounds. It's hard to imagine a guy like this would get paroled. Um, Of course, the people at Rosebud were fucking mortified. But without a death sentence, it's totally legal. So, Tex, anything to add 
about how this all happened. I mean, it's just numbers. I mean, they had to let him out, right? I mean. Yeah. Um, Texas is kind of, they kind of like try to push the envelope with um, a lot of litigation stuff that happened. Okay. And it got pushed to the point where they had to start letting all these inmates out. Uh, really, Kenneth McDuff just kind of slowed through the cracks. Um, and it's, like I said, it's just the right place at the right time with the right parole board members. Yeah, for sure. Like a perfect storm here. Now, in yeah. a couple of the documentaries I watched, uh, they all talked about how Rosebud residents couldn't believe that he was out of prison after what he did to those kids back in 1966. I couldn't imagine being a parent or a relative, uh, one of the teens that was murdered, and seeing him fucking walking around town like nothing happened. I mean, that just had to be awful, and I'm sure he was cocky as fucking hell about it, too. So, not good. Uh, McDuff is one of uh, was one of 20 former death row inmates that was paroled like this. A total of 127 murderers in Texas were also let out during this time. It's just fucking crazy. Um, after he's released, uh, he gets a job at a gas station as a cashier for four bucks an hour uh, while he's taking some classes at Texas State Technical College in Waco. And most believe he started killing again only a few days after his 1989 release from prison. Uh, the body of a 31-year-old woman was found near Temple, Texas, about 50 miles south of Waco. Now, when I lived in Texas, uh, or we lived, I should say, Tex over there, between Waco and Temple somewhere, uh, this was also the time when the Branch Davidian standoff was going on. So definitely a pretty crazy time to be in Central Texas with all this shit going on. Yeah, it is, man. I actually live uh, pretty close to Temple. Okay. Uh, and when, I, when we were talking about doing this um, episode, I went driving around. I followed the timeline of Mr. McDuff here. Oh, and wow. went riding around all the different towns. So, oh, that's cool, man. You know, I'm right here where it all happened. So. That's fucking crazy, man. But we really out there going the extra fucking mile, Tex. I'm very impressed with you there. But you're hey, not wearing. But you're I, not wearing a ten gallon hat, though. You said I asked you that before. No ten gallon hat. No, no ten gallon hat. All right, all right. <laughs> now, even though McDuff wasn't charged with murder. He was sent back to prison for getting into it with some black youths uh, screaming racial slurs at them on the street. Uh, the word was he was just a piece of shit racist on top of all the other bad traits that he had. His mother, Addie, put up some money to hire a couple attorneys that would push to get him out of prison. Um, a year later, in 1990, he's released again. Um and Tex, I mean, this revolving door with McDuff is something we see a lot of with these guys that just happened to, you know, like you said, slip through the cracks. Yeah, I mean, it's it's unreal. I have real no, no real commentary about it because I have no idea how to explain how all this shit happened. Right. I mean, it's just... I mean, I get that it's easy to say now, you know, knowing what he did after he got out, 
But my God, I mean, when you look at this guy's fucking rap sheet, I mean, Jesus, I don't know what in the world they were thinking. But again, I think it was just a numbers thing. They had to get rid of inmates. And so they start just letting them go. But it's hard to imagine it, especially looking back on it. It just seems like an insane fucking decision. Um, October 91, uh, he picked up a prostitute in Waco. He ties her up. Uh, then stopped his car before he got to a, or got stopped in his car. Before he got to a police checkpoint, um, saw the checkpoint, was able to avoid it. The cops approached him, though. The woman begins to kick at the windshield. Uh, McDuff is able to drive away. So, again, you know, just slips through, eludes the police. Uh, he manages to park the car in a wooded area where he tortured the poor woman to death and her body was not found uh, until seven years later in 1998. Uh, this dude text just does not quit. I mean, what a sadistic son of a bitch. Yeah, I mean, ego out to as big as Texas, man. Yeah, I mean, he's right there at the checkpoint. He gets away, and she's tied up, you know. I mean, it's just fucking crazy. I mean, you think... You know, how lucky this son of a bitch is. Got nine lives for sure. Yeah, I saw something with the cops at the uh, um, the police point. They said they just thought it was like a lover's spat, so they didn't really pursue it. Ah, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, yes. Uh, now, five days later, McDuff gets hooked up with a 17-year-old prostitute in Waco, and some witnesses saw the two of them arguing outside of a seedy motel. And then after that, McDuff drove off uh, to a remote area outside of Waco. He ties up her hands and feet with a pair of stockings, then kills her. He also raped and murdered a 23-year-old woman who was found only a few days later after she had been reported missing. So, I mean, this dude is just in, like, berserker mode at this point. Um, soon after that, McDuff found himself another accomplice, Another three-named accomplice here, Alva Hank Worley. Uh, they drove to Austin and kidnapped Colleen Reed from a car wash. Now, this is some really ballsy shit because she is a completely innocent person. I'm not saying that, you know, the, 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 the fact that he killed prostitutes, you know, of course, very unfortunate. But they're putting themselves in that type of predicament, unfortunately, by the work that they're doing. This woman was just innocently at a car wash. Uh, wrong place, wrong time, of course. McDuff and Worley cruising around looking for a victim. And they did some really sadistic shit to Colleen Reed, uh, raping her in every way possible. Uh, putting cigarettes out on her body. I mean, really horrible shit. Um, then he kills another prostitute, Valencia Joshua, uh, by strangling her. Um, and then his last known victim was a young woman, Melissa Northrup, who was the cashier at the same gas station that McDuff had worked at uh, because uh, rumor was he was bragging about how he knew of this cute cashier working overnights at the gas station. Uh, the accounts of the abduction were terrible. I mean, her husband's trying to reach her by phone. You know, no one's answering at the store. Uh, he drives up to the gas station, finds her gone. The store is open. Nobody's inside. And unfortunately, her body's later found by uh, somebody, a fisherman. 
So, Tex, all of these murders are just awful, but the last one, Melissa Northrup, seemed especially bad because she was pregnant at the time she was abducted. I also saw that since he was killing victims in different counties, that this made it that much harder to catch up with him. Would you uh, agree with that? Yeah, especially back then. Um, you know, they didn't really communicate between departments, and there was always jurisdictional uh, infighting and everything like that. I actually work um, right now. I actually work with um, a relative of one of the, his victims. Oh my God! And to this day, yeah. To this day, I mean, it's, the family still just torn up. And, oh and my God! I was, yeah. I just mentioned that that I was going to be on a podcast with this guy uh, about uh, McDuff, and that's when she told me her story. I'm really not going to get into it, but you know. Wow. Um, yeah, it's still still affecting people today. Yeah, I mean, that's a raw wound. I can't imagine having a family member taken like this in such an heinous fucking way and then to have it, you know, regurgitated on podcasts and documentaries and stuff over and over and over again. I mean, it just has to be absolutely awful. Um, now, March of 92, a warrant is issued for McDuff's arrest uh, Alva Worley got McDuff turned into the state cops due to his prior arrest and convictions. Uh, McDuff winds up relocating, though, to Kansas City, Missouri to work under an assumed name, uh, Richard Fowler. Uh, he's working as a garbage man at a landfill. Now, Tex, did you see how putting McDuff on America's Most Wanted got him captured? Uh, that show was, uh, of course, responsible for catching a bunch of these fucking turds. Um, according to what I read, uh, they had 1,186 episodes over their 25 seasons and captured 1,200 criminals. Very impressive. That's a, that is very impressive, man. Yeah, uh, just some dude uh, watching the show. I guess it was one of his coworkers that he looked a lot like him. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing, man. Thank God the guy did. Because, um, yeah, he's working with him in Kansas City, sees the show. Um, he mentions it to another co-worker who also thought it was McDuff. Uh, wind up going to the Kansas City police, who quickly figured out that Richard Fowler had been arrested for soliciting prostitution. So uh, comparison of the fingerprints of Fowler and McDuff proved that they were one and the same. So... Pretty amazing police work there, and good for the guy that turned him in and the co-worker that convinced him to do it. Uh, May of 92, a police a team of six police officers close in and arrest McDuff on his way to the landfill south of town. Uh, this would put an end to the bullshit for once and for all. Um, and it was definitely all over the news, and like we talked earlier, you know, you and I were younger, of course, and weren't really paying attention. But, you know, just from your experience talking to this, uh, you know, victim's family member, my gosh, I mean, this just had to be a, a horrible way to endure the loss of a loved one in the public eye like that. Man, you're not kidding. And like when he got out that uh, the last time he got paroled, everybody around uh, Rosebud was buying pistols and weapons and Locking their doors, which in a town like that, nobody locks their doors, even like today. But back then, when he got out, 
uh, yeah, all that all that stuff was happening. So oh, I'm sure. Just crazy. Yeah, I'm sure. Now, March of 92, McDuff was uh, indicted for the murder of the young pregnant woman from the gas station. Uh, he was convicted and sentenced to death on my birthday, February 18th, 1993. Uh, if anybody was worthy of the death penalty, this piece of shit, definitely one of them. Now, my personal uh, beliefs on the death penalty have wavered a bit. I got to say, Tex, I mean, doing this show and digging into some of these cases like West Memphis 3, the making a murderer case, some of these where there's just a lot of doubt. I have a very hard time now saying I agree that the government has the right to kill people, even if they've, you know, um, you know, admitted it. Uh, you know, confessions, you see that these coerced confessions, I'm certainly not one to say that I think that, you know, the, the police are horrible and it's rampant, but I do think it happens. And I think that just that nugget of information makes me pause. Um, and of course, you're in the line of work, uh, of course, in corrections. What do you think personally about it? You know, man, uh, after years and years of doing this, I still believe in the death penalty and it has its purpose. However, if there's one death row inmate that is innocent and they get put to death, then there's something wrong with the system. Right. That's yeah. my personal opinion. Yeah, now you actually worked on death row, right, Tex? Yes. Yes, okay. sure did. On so, uh, women's death row. Women's. Okay. Now that's gotta be a very eerie feeling because you know, what is it like being around? Now this isn't like California where they're on death row for 30 years. I mean, in Texas, they're not on death row, what, 10, 15 years. I mean, it's pretty quick or no. I think the average is about 12 years. Um, for the females, for some reason it takes a little bit longer. Um, like Selena's killer is still, still around and that was what 1995 or so oh shit that's fucked up yeah i remember that case i forgot about that was in texas yeah so she uh so she got the death penalty and she's still she's still around kicking it still around wow Wow. that's fucked up now um at age 52, on November 17, 1993, McDuff was executed at Huntsville Prison in Texas. Uh, and this is where Texan, Texas did all their executions at that time, or do they still do them all there, Tex? They still do the actual executions for both men and women at the Huntsville unit. Right. Um, women, um, while they're awaiting a date, are at Mountain View Unit in Gatesville. Okay. And the men are at Polonsky Unit, and that's in Livingston, Texas, in like 46. Okay. I was going to ask you, too, this is a little off topic somewhat, but Huntsville, they refer to it as the Walls Unit. Why is that? Is that like named after somebody? or? No. Um, the, I guess, official uh, title of it is the Huntsville Unit. But it has these large brick walls. They're like 30, 40 feet high. Oh. And that's why they call it the wall. Okay. It's just surrounded by 
Okay, that makes more sense. I just was always curious where that came from. I never saw that that explained. Um, Now, his last meal, according to the Death Row Chef, I didn't realize there was such a title text, a Death Row Chef. Is that like uh, a thing? I mean, or is that like when somebody's going to be executed, they bring in a chef? Or how does that work? Um, They used to have a Death Row Chef um, until somebody basically by ordering, I don't know, $80 worth of food and then sliding it across the table and said, I'm not hungry. Uh, so they don't do that anymore. They get what everybody else in the prison gets. Oh, okay. Because I saw here where he was given a hamburger. He wanted a steak, but they gave him a hamburger and kind of made it look like a steak. I thought that was kind of funny. But you're saying now that doesn't even happen. They just get whatever's uh, on the menu that day. So. Yes, Definitely interesting. Now, um, is there anything else about your experience on death row that you wanted to add or, or make people maybe understand maybe something that they might not realize about what that's like? Um, kind of from my experience, uh, just like working really in any other place, sometimes um, they get television interviews like somebody a long documentary or something on their story. So they right. kind of feel entitled. And this is only my personal opinion. Sure. But it seems like they feel entitled and like they're celebrities, uh, which is weird. Yeah. Because they're condemned, condemned to death. Right. Now, it's, it's quieter than, like, general population, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, it's a lot quieter. Yeah, that's you know what I'd heard. About the, what's weird about the women... They have a, and this is the only place I ever saw this. Um, they have, they do like crochet. They have these long crochet needles. Why would you give them a weapon like that? Yeah. You broke up a little bit, but you said they give them a large crochet needle. Is that what you said? Right, to make blankets for premature kids or, or wow. family members. Yeah, you could do a lot of fucking damage with a fucking crochet needle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, especially if you know you're going to die anyway. Like, what the fuck, right? Yeah, it's a little little weird like that. Yeah, little double standard, I'm sure, because they're sure not handing those out to the men on death row, that's for sure. Um, now, McDuff is buried in the cemetery at the prison known as, I thought this was funny text, Peckerwood Hill. Uh, his headstone only shows the date of his death and an X that shows he was executed by the state of Texas. Uh, definitely a very fucked up story uh, when you consider how many people that McDuff hurt after being paroled off death row. Um, definitely a blemish on the state of Texas. And anything that you wanted to add maybe that I didn't get into in enough detail or any part of this story, Tex? The story is pretty detailed, man. Um, the only thing I would add is I have no clue how all this happened. Like I said, this guy was just the right inmate at the right time. Right. Um, and a lot of laws were developed. And they're all called the McDuff laws, or I believe they're called the McDuff laws. About uh, 
um, all criteria, um, you know, just anything violent, criminal, parole. Um, there's a lot of updated laws because of what happened with this particular guy. Yeah, I mean, if there's any good come of it, I guess that's one that they learned and hopefully tighten this shit up so this doesn't happen again because it's just fucking incredibly awful. Um, now, the research I did for this with a couple different documentaries that I watched, um, plus the book uh, Bad Boy by uh, Gary Laverne, um, I read part of it. It is very good. I did not get through all of it. Uh, but very interesting. It seems like that's the one uh, that if you're interested in the McDuff, ta- McDuff case, you could check that out. Um, or like I said, there's some good documentaries out there. But like with anything, you always want to check a few sources because sometimes things are wrong um, as, as we all find uh, doing different things, research and so forth. Now, Tex, definitely thanks for sitting in on this one with me tonight. It's always great to have you on the show. Now, this weekend, you and I are going to be recording a very special new edition of the podcast. We're breaking some ground here, Tex. It's called Brutal Rewind. As we revisit a topic we've talked about before, uh, these episodes are going to feature a single topic and will be much shorter than a typical show. But this time, you had requested that we do one on Carla Faye Tucker since you said you had some info to share with us about the axe-wielding crazy bitch. So I'm very anxious to hear what you've got to say, dude. Any little tease for the listeners about any anything you're going to break with us uh, on that uh, subject? No tease right now. We will, we'll oh, nice. Up. They're going to have to just fucking wait, man. Yeah. That's well, cool. Thanks for having me on, Pete. I, I sure do appreciate it, man. No problem, man. Well, next week we'll have the guys from Blood Feud in the studio along with Bonesaw 49 or a 49 Records to talk about the new album and also to discuss the feature, The Murdering Couple of Fred and Mo- Rosemary West. That's definitely going to be a good one. I think I hear that familiar music. Sounds like CK ready to tear it up and talk about some metal, so let's get our metal on. Known the world over as the master of metal, the crusher of posers, and murder metal mayhem's knower of all things metal, hailing from Wild Man Street in Danbury, Connecticut, standing at six feet of brutal punishing madness, weighing in at 220 pounds of poser pulverization, the one, the only... Toughest bastard on the planet, Chris C.K. Well, speaking of the great metal motherfucker, we got him right here. What's up, C.K.? What's up? What's going on, Pete? Fuck yeah, dude. It's weird with Chris not being here. He's on special assignment, though. We'll hear more about this when he gets back from his assignment. But it is very weird being in here by myself with only you and Tex to keep me company. <laughs> so I'm glad I'm glad you're here because it is very odd. This show was set up for two people. So just being here alone is really weird, although I do have CCK in here with me. So that's so that's one good thing. So 
So that that helps. It does. It does. But we're doing episode 76, man. It's crazy. We've done this many of them. And we just had a good conversation with Tex on the crazy case of Kenneth McDuff, the broomstick killer piece of shit that he was. (laughs) Um, And now we're in the metal. And, of course, got you on the phone uh, talking to us from Danbury, Connecticut on uh, Messenger. And you've got a band that you wanted to talk about. I don't know much about these guys, so I'm kind of anxious to hear what you have to say, dude. Yeah, this is a band um, I've, I've dug for a long time, um, especially the first couple albums. So, um, the band's called Life of Agony. They're from New York City. They're, they're, they were formed like in late 88. They were, at first, they were kind of like a hardcore band. Um and eventually mixed metal elements, but overall I think they're a metal band that in the end mixed a little bit of hardcore elements, especially they use um, a lot of breakdowns, especially on first album. Um, but um, it's for the most part, instead of um, Keith, Alan Robert, Joey Z, and Sal Bruciato, who um, also pulled double duty. He was also the full-time drummer for Typo Negative. Okay. So he was doing um, Typo and Life of Agony at the same time. Kind of different styles, but but um, both New York bands. Like I said, the band formed like in mid-'80s, late-'80s. Put out some demos. Uh, in 1993, they were signed to Roadrunner, or 92, they were signed to Roadrunner. Recorded their album in 93, and in 93, you know, metal was not, yeah, you know, on its way topic. out. So, so for this album to come out in 93 and kind of make an impact, well, it was kind of a big deal. Um, and they kind of went over the, not over the top, but they kind of, for a first album, it was a concept album. Um, that basically dealt with alcoholism, um, abandonment, suicide, and whole al- the whole album is um, based on a teenager, high school teenager, and it, and it encompasses the week, Monday through Friday of his life. Huh. Um, and the cool thing about, about the first album, River Runs Red, is you could actually follow the story through the songs. It's not some fucking abstract thing. That's cool. You got to think about it. And they put these little, little things in the interludes in the middle, um, of stuff that's happening. So you kind of have an idea, like on um, like on my Monday, crime or something home. like that. Yeah, and like on Monday he comes home the fir- after the first song. There's an interlude. He comes home. His parents are arguing. Um, he goes up to his room, and at that time he had um, the the call the, the answering machines. Right. And you hear him rewinding the answering machine, and um, his girlfriend breaks up with him. Ah. Uh. You know, so so. No, a couple more songs about what's going on. Then another interlude comes on, like on Wednesday or Thursday. Um, 
comes home again. He's berated by his, his mother. His mother just berates this kid to, to, to death. I mean, calls him a piece of shit. He's a loser. Um, and so he goes right to his room, finds out through the answer machine he's, he's fired from his job. Oh, damn. Um, another day, he um, again, he comes home from school. And all and all the songs follow this storyline, so you could actually when when you read the lyrics, you could actually follow it along. And um, then on, on on Thursday, or one of the other days, there's another interlude, and you know he comes home again. He's berated by his mother, you know, being called a piece of shit. He wants nothing to do with him. And um, he's failing school. And the final straws, and, and the final straws on Friday, he comes home. Parents are arguing. His mother's telling his father to get the fuck out of the house. You and your piece of shit losers. And, you know, so he walks into that, and at, at, you hear him go into the bathroom. And he puts on, oddly enough, Life of Agony on his stereo, goes in the bathroom, and you can hear him cut his wrist. Oh, wow. And you hear the blood dripping. And the mother comes in saying, get the fuck out of the bathroom. It's my bathroom. I got to go. She opens the door, and the kid's dead. Wow. So so, so a pretty heavy album for a first album. Yeah, for sure. And And musically, the album is a metal album. Like I said, with hardcore elements, a lot of breakdowns. Um, Keith Caputo has a very distinctive voice. He has a baritone voice, which is, which I've talked about other bands like um, Violence. When you hear Violence, you know it's Sean Killian. Right. When you hear when you hear um, Keith Caputo, you know it's Life of Agony. Um, so he has a very distinctive voice, and fortunate. Um, um, that album did really well. Roadrunner pushed the hell out of it. Um, I sure saw them live on that tour, and they were fucking phenomenal. Um, 95, they came out with their follow-up, Ugly. Um, considering they set a pretty high bar with the first album, um, a lot of people didn't like Ugly as much. I thought it was a fantastic album. I thought... It dealt wasn't a concept that dealt a little more personal issues that um Keith Caputo had. Um his mother who was a drug addict who he thought abandoned that she abandoned him but in reality she left the family. Or no I'm sorry. He um thought she abandoned the family but in real life she died of an overdose and nobody ever told him. Oh wow. So he puts a lot of a lot of his um, personal things into his in, into the songwriting on his album. It's, it's kind of a personal album as far as lyrics. Um, musically, it's killer. It's, it, it runs anywhere from grinding, almost doomy stuff to um, parts thrash. Um, and the album did the album did fairly well. Um, 
and again, I saw him on that tour. And on that tour, I noticed Keith Caputo was acting like a little fruity on stage. Um, just acting weird. And then um, I think it was 97, he put out um, the third album, which, as always, a little bit of a disappointment, a little bit more commercial. Right. Um, I've, I've grown to appreciate it more now over the years. Um, at that point, Keith Caputo left the band. He was not happy with the band. Um, the three of them, Alan Robert, Joey C., and Sal Abruciato, stayed together. And they recruited a couple singers, and the biggest one they recruited was, and people are going to freak over this one, Whitfield Crane. If you don't know who Whitfield Crane is, you remember Ugly Kid Joe? Who is it? You broke up a little bit. Who was it? Uh, Whitfield Crane. Yeah, but when you said the band, I didn't hear what you uh, said. Uh, remember Ugly Kid Joe? Ugly Kid Joe. Okay, because, yeah, you were breaking up a little bit. Yeah. He was the lead singer for Ugly Kid Joe. Oh, nice. I didn't know that that was and, his name, though, but I know who Ugly Kid Joe yeah, was, Yeah, but... There, there, there's YouTube videos. Of, he's never recorded with him, but there's YouTube videos of um, them live with him, and it just does not work. He tries so hard to sound like Keith Caputo, yeah. and it doesn't fucking work. You know, you're, when you're trying to force it, right, and sound like somebody, yeah, it doesn't work. You know, and, and shortly after they broke up, um, they formed various projects. Um. The biggest one was Stereo Mud, I think, with Joey Z and Alan Robert. They formed with um, a couple members from Stuck Mojo. They put out a couple albums. Um, eventually, they they kind of reformed. They were doing um, Keith Caputo came back. They all reformed. And they were doing um, reunion shows and decided to get back to record an album. Um they actually signed Epic Records for this one. Um, it wasn't a bad album. It was called Broken Valley. It was released in 2005. Um, kind of generic sounding. Wasn't really on par with, like, say, River Runs Red or Ugly or even Soul Search. So, I mean, it wasn't a bad album, but it just seemed like that their, their heart and soul wasn't into it. And shortly after, again, they broke up. Um, Keith Caputo went on to do a solo career. Um, two, it was like 2012, 2013. They got back together again, recorded a live album. Um, Keith Caputo was not Keith Caputo anymore at that point. His new name was Mina Caputo. Oh. Turned out to be a transgender. Okay. So when I said he was acting, so when I said he was acting a little fruity on that ugly tour, um, he he was supposedly he said he was a uh, woman trapped in a man's body, and it's kind of funny because you look at him, he's he's a short little guy, and he looked like a tough, you know, New York City punk bastard kid. Right. And, um, you know, 
and they reformed and, and and in 2017 they put out a killer fucking album with him um, as a woman or yeah yeah oh wow well i don't know if he's fully transgendered right somewhere in the middle I, there I yeah i don't know if, i don't know if he went fully you know with the with cutting the, the pecker off or, or anything like that right right <laughs> um but they put out a killer album, a place where there's no more pain. Um, that goes back to Ugly and, and Rivers of Ren. It was a killer album. Hmm. Um, and just this past couple months ago, they put out um, The Sound of Scars. Um, with the first lineup, big lineup change as far as recording, Sal Bruciato left. And he got some chick drummer. She actually fucking kills. I don't know her name. Huh. Um, Let's see, I, I don't see if I can find it. Veronica Bellino, but she um she absolutely absolutely kills. Um, That's cool. And it's it's a great album. And um the funny thing is Keith or Mino, whatever you want to call him, still sounds the same. Oh, that's cool. So so you listen to it. It's it's. it's as far as voice, it's no difference. It's still that baritone voice. Right. Um, you know, and, and I believe they're touring now, and they're just a band that I that I dug. And, and to put out an album like that in 93 where, where nobody's really putting anything out like that, you know, the only band that was doing anything metal was um, Pantera. Right, right. And and I have my own opinions on Pantera. I like them, but I think they're overrated. Yeah, I and agree I think with if you. They, I think if they were, if they actually came out with metal, well, actually they did. They were around when um, in the, in the late eighties, early eighties. They were they different didn't go anywhere. Yeah. yeah, they were they were glam, but I think they would have just been lumped in. Oh yeah. Else and, yeah. They were at the right place, right time. Cause yeah. they didn't have much competition. And so, yeah, they got a lot of that limelight. They're not a bad band. I agree with you. I no, think they're I, good. I, I, I like them. It's just never really blown me away. And I always thought that they were very overrated, but, but there's some people that live and swear by it. That's for sure. No. And then I'm not taking anything away from, from Pantera. You know, they're, they're a good band to just, in, in my own opinion, I think they're a little overrated. Um, I think Life of Agony was just a band that kicked ass for that time. Um, you know, hardcore wasn't wasn't the thing. It was all alternative and, and fucking Seattle sound. So right, right. You know, so for them to to come out with a breakout album like that, that sold pretty well on an independent label at the time, wasn't bad. And um. No, I still dig them to this day, and I still listen to um, all those albums to this day. That's cool, man. That's cool. Now, you got a uh, anything more to add about them? And I believe pretty much all their albums are still available physically. You can get cool. them, I believe, on digitally. So if you want to check them out, start with River Runs Red and your way up. But, That's um, cool, man. Definitely a band, definitely a band with check them out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, now you got a lost classic for us tonight. Yeah, it's a little, a little bit, of, kind of a tie-in. Um, the band's called Carnivore. 
Right. The album's called Retaliation, and if anybody doesn't know Carnivores, it was Pete Steele from Typo Negatives, um, band for Typo Negative. He was in a thrash band called Carnivore. Um, Retaliation was the second album, and it was a kind of a crossover album between um, thrash and, and hardcore. And it's just a great fucking album. It's got some great titles like Jesus Hitler, um, Angry Neurotic Catholics, <laughs> SMD, SMD for Suck My Dick. Nice. Um, it's, just, it's just a cool record. And, and um, it's kind of catchy. And I, and I just I just dig it. That's cool. But, um, you know, I figure it was a little bit of a tie-in because Sal was in typo and Pete Steele was in typo and then obviously the leader of um, Carnivore who actually even though Pete Steele died they're still doing stuff with a new, new lead singer but I haven't heard anything from them right. um, as far as what they sound like but, right. that's cool man well I uh, I recently did an interview just last week uh, with Can uh, a radio station out of Canada Pure Rock Radio uh, they wanted to interview me for my writing because I got the new book that just came out, CK, and also talked about the podcast. I was on there last week, which was the night before Halloween, and uh, got to talk about the new book and and some horror stuff. It was a good it was a good interview because you sent me the link. It was a real good interview. Cool, yeah. Rich Embry did a nice job. He always yeah. does. So go check them out, man. Uh, PureRockRadio.net, a good internet radio station. Little bit of everything, different themed shows. Uh, Rich is a good dude. I've known him for a long time. And so, yeah, I uh, link to that on our Facebook page if you're interested to hear the interview. It's not long, it's like 10 minutes or so at the top of the hour of the second hour of the show. So you can check that out if you want to. I like that he played King Diamond a song or two before me and then Venom right after I got done, which was. Which was cool. So I think it was "Welcome to Hell." And actually, I think I think the song before he played was an Alice Cooper song right before the interview. I think you're right. You're right. Yeah, that's cool. Now we've been telling him CK about the Six 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 Club and the benefits they get with that. They need to get on this shit. Go to Patreon.com/slash Murder Metal Mayhem for only three bucks a month. Get lots of good bonus content, VIP access. It, dude, you can't, man, and and you don't need fucking CCK coming after you if you don't yeah, fucking do this. You don't need it. Don't piss him off. That's right. That's right. I had He's to unpack. I had to unpack him because I had CCK packed up for the Dark History Convention, and he was in his original packaging. Mm -hmm. So I open it up. I cannot figure out how the base works. When I unpacked it that first time, it took me about an hour till I finally figured it out. <laughs> it's a weird combination of folds with the cardboard. Anyway, I've got him propped up, but I'm very afraid he's going to fall over and jinx me. But he's he's looking at me. He's throwing the horns up. He's got the scythe you know, right there at his side, so I think he's okay. But I am a little nervous because he's not quite <laughs> propped up like he typically is. But we were not able to take him out of the packaging because of the tight uh, space we had behind our table. The base would have kept getting knocked over, and we would have wound up breaking him. So we kept him. Yeah, in we don't want that. No, we definitely don't need that. So, 
So yeah, so go to patreon.com slash murder metal mayhem, join that six 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 club. Three bucks a month, that's it, man. Now can't be it. No. Now CK on the national metal news, some really tough stuff that we found out uh, about uh, a bass player near and dear to both our hearts. Uh, what's the deal with this, man? Yeah, Timmy um Timmy Grabber Hansen, who was the original basis for Merciful Feet and was the original basis for King Diamond has passed away. Um yeah, I guess he had cancer for a while. I don't know what kind of cancer, but um he passed away on the fourth, which was yesterday. Um his son broke the news. Um you know, we want to give condolences to his family. To um I guess King Diamond was taking it very hard from what I understand. Yeah, they were pretty tight. Um, King said they yeah. were like roommates and and uh very, very tight and stayed tight. Uh, he did talk to him not that long ago, at least. But uh, yeah. yeah, that's just that's awful, man. He was only sixty-one. Yeah, and they said um, last show he was having a hard time with that. He didn't even do an encore. Oh wow! Because he was um so broken up over it. But you know, it just sucks that another another talent was taken by this some um, fucking shit disease. Yeah. You know, that's for sure, dude. Yeah. Both of us can relate to that. We're both oh, uh, definitely. Uh, surviving cancers. Not uh, not a fun thing to go through. You've had it a lot worse than I ever did. But very sad to hear this about Timmy Hansen because he was a huge influence on me as a bass player. Uh, when I first heard, you know, those first, you know, the Merciful Fate, Melissa, and Don't Break the Oath, the bass oh, yeah. playing is fucking incredible. I uh, got to see him live a couple different times. Me uh, too. And he, and he used his fingers. He did. No he pick. did. He did. No pick. Uh, I definitely like that style of bass playing. So definitely a, a sad one to hear about. Um, any other national metal news, CK? Any releases um, or anything coming up? Actually, actually, I don't know if anybody knows, but Frankie Benali, the um, drummer for Quiet Riot, yeah, what's he up? Has stage, he has stage four pancreatic cancer. Oh, I did see that. Yeah, that's fucked yeah, so, up. So he's going through that. And from what I understand, he has a positive attitude, but pancreatic cancer is not. My, my, I told my father died of it. It's, it's, it's a very aggressive disease, so um, yeah. I wish him the best. Big time. Wish him the best. Big time. Um, as, far as, as far as new releases, um. New um, Agnostic Front comes up on Friday. Um, I heard bits and pieces, and it's a fucking killer fucking album. It goes back to nice. the early days, and it's just they did just sound killer. It, it's just from from what I've heard so far, it's a fucking freight train. Oh, cool. Um, let's see what else is coming up. Give me one second. I think I have a list here. Um. I know Anacrisis is coming out, reissuing their third and fourth albums. No one knows who Anacrisis. They were um, a band formed in 87. Um, one of the first progressive um, thrash bands. Um, so Metal Blade is, is putting out those last two releases by them. Um, let see what else is coming out. Give me one second. Um... New Skin Lab, Venomous. 
I saw Skin Labs uh, coming through here on a tour with somebody else uh, coming up here pretty quick. So that that makes sense. They got a new album out. Cat uh, Decapitation at the end of the month. Um, Angel Witch is coming out with a new album. Slayer, Repentless Killology uh, from, from the last tour is coming out Friday. And um, Blind Guardian, Legacy of the Darklands, which they do with um, an orchestra is coming out. It's supposed to be killer. It's supposed to sound killer. Um, Very If you cool. like power metal, right? Um, Blind Guardian's for you. That's awesome, man. That's about it for new releases right now. That's awesome. Now, on the local metal front, uh, Blood Feud, a band from our area here in central Illinois, is going to be here with me um, and with us, CK, because you'll be in on that too, uh, next week with Bonesaw from their label, uh, 49 Records. Uh, They've got a new album coming out called Disgust on November 30th. Uh, Definitely keep your ears open for that one. Um, we think we played a sample of them uh, not long ago, and we'll definitely have some next week while they're here in the studio with us. And they're going to talk about the release and their new uh, their album release party that's coming up also. So that should be that should that's be very cool. cool. And they're good dudes, uh, young guys, uh, so it should be good. Um, I've seen them live a couple different times. Really, really killer. A lot of energy. Uh, definitely heavy stuff. So good to good to see them out there releasing music. So that's great. Well, CK, uh, thanks for giving us some metal knowledge. I know you said you wanted to stick around for mayhem. Uh, so that's awesome since Chris is not here with us tonight. So what do you think we need to do, CK? We need to go do a little bit of mayhem. Fuck yeah, dude. Let's get our mayhem on. Fuck yeah. Looking for a new career? Have you ever dreamed of hitting the open road and making a living driving a truck? Well, here at the Jesperson Truck Driving School, we can make that dream a reality in six weeks of training. I went to the Jesperson School and I learned all kinds of things about lot lizards and how to tie up prostitutes and take them on the road with me. That's because women love a man who can drive a big rig. I took the advanced course. I learned how to tie a woman under my truck, and fuck, I ground her face and fingerprints off. I wasn't sure if I could do it, but the trainers of Jesperson made that shit simple as fuck. Call us now, 1-800-KILL-THAT-SLUT, and ask about our Happy Face Special going on this month. That includes your tuition, a coupon for an hour with a prostitute, a directory of lot lizards around the U.S., and a pair of handcuffs. Thanks, Jesperson Truck Driving School. Oh, fuck yeah, man. Some Jesperson truck driving school. I thought, uh, CK, you were in on those. We did that round of commercials. Yeah, that was fun. That was great. Yeah, those are funny. And since Chris isn't here tonight, it was cool that we played that particular one because, of course, his voice is there as the truck driving uh, student. So so those are fun. And before that, we played Life of Agony, just throwing it down and ripping through. 
episode 76. I got CK. You stuck around for mayhem since I'm here solo uh, tonight doing the podcast. So it's good to have you here, buddy. Um, Now, I left the mayhem story part open because I didn't know. um, I know you had said that you had something, but I couldn't remember if you've already told it or if it's something. Yeah, I I already told it. Okay, that's what I kind of thought. And it's okay because I've got a lot of stuff to talk about in the Mayhem segment. So we're just going to go right into that stuff. I don't have a Mayhem story at my fingertips. And I've been just running around like a crazy man with this new book coming out. It's been pretty crazy here. Um, But uh, we've definitely got plenty to talk about. Now we got a killer cage match tonight, CK. Of course, the uh, rules... Uh, for those of you listening for the first time, uh, Killer Cage Match is our thing. Um, we have um, a list of 60 killers, a, lif- a list of 60 objects, and a list of 15 variables. We have our listeners pick random numbers, and then we pair up two killers with two objects and a variable in a cage to fight to the death. So we've had some pretty good ones, CK. The, wouldn't you agree? I agree totally. Yeah. <laughs> now we had, we, some, had some good, we had some good metal ones too. Oh yeah, we have done some good metal ones. Uh we've done you know just trying to have some fun with this. Uh so big thanks out there to Cody Durst, uh Nikki Judy and Tommy Davis for providing the random numbers this time around. We've got an interesting one. We got Pee Wee Gaskins, that little bastard from South Carolina, <laughs> going up against the shotgun wielding psychopath Ronnie DeFeo, of course, of the uh, Amityville horror fame. Not the dumb ghost story hoax part of the story, but the but actual the killing, but yeah, the killing. <laughs> killing his whole fucking family yeah, story. In the house. Yeah. Now, I uh, mentioned earlier in the intro that that's uh, funny that he came up because that was uh, we just did the Amityville Horror at the uh, Dark History Convention with the guys in Black Crypt Podcast, and that turned out pretty good, uh, like 40, 45 minutes, and so we'll probably be using that at some point here as a bonus episode so you guys can hear how that turned out. Now, so we got Pee Wee Gaskins, uh, Ronnie DeFeo, and the objects they're going to be fighting with, CK, what do they got in the cage there with them? Um, a, Coke, a glass Coke bottle, a five-gallon bucket of hot roof tar, and the variable is, <laughs> I love this one, is <laughs> a pissed-off old man screaming about his lawn. <laughs> So, so we got Pee Wee Gaskins, Ronnie DeFeo in a cage with a glass Coke bottle and a five-gallon bucket of hot roof tar in a cage with a pissed-off man screaming about his lawn. So I don't even know where to start with this one. What do you, what do you think, dude? I, I think both men are just going to go after the old man. Oh, you think and, so? And take him out and just tell him, yeah, because I, I think – one, I think, I think the fails can have fucking hallucinations, eh? Right. And he's just going to 
fucking just gonna kick the shit out of him because he won't shut the fuck up. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, Pee Wee was a little motherfucker, but he was a tough son of a bitch. So I don't see Pee Wee. I see Pee Wee Gaskins fucking the old man up too. I think both DeFeo oh, yeah. and Pee Wee could fuck that old man up pretty good. Because uh, he's going to be in there screaming about his lawn, and these guys are just going to be like, what the Wait, fuck? Just shut the fuck. Shut the fuck up. So the old man's probably going to be out of the picture. So from a physical standpoint, I mean, DeFeo's not a big dude, but Pee Wee's really small. So I would definitely give the physical edge pretty handedly to Ronnie DeFeo, and I think a lot of it's going to depend on who can get a hold of that fucking uh, hot roof tar or that glass bottle if they break it against the bars and fucking stab them and shit, you know? But, but you, can't, you can't count out the little guy because little, no. little, he's probably, like, really scrappy, too. Right, and he's Pee-wee did a lot of fucking prison time. Uh, yeah. So, you know, if you're talking about in their heyday – you know, DeFeo, you know, had never, I mean, he was a criminal, but nothing where he did time. So you got this, like, you know, rich kid, uh, fucked up drug addict going up against, like you said, this scrappy fucking, you know, southerner who did a bunch of fucking time and could probably handle himself and could definitely fuck DeFeo up pretty good with that glass bottle. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, going, I'm going with um, Pee Wee. Yeah, I think so too, man. I think Pee Wee is definitely a fucking tough bastard. I mean, it's always hard to say because these guys, you know, exaggerate with their kill count. But man, he killed a lot of fucking people. Even if you don't believe all of uh, the ones that he did, uh, he killed a lot of people. And and DeFeo, whether you believe his story or not, claims he didn't even do it. Who the fuck knows? But there's one thing: shooting people with a gun. And it's another one doing the shit that Pee Wee Gaskins did. Yeah, so. he took more people out. Yeah, he was very fucked up. Uh, fed him, fed him to the I Gators. Think, I think the fail's going to end up having a fucking flashback and just hallucinate oh. and just be like in the middle <laughs> of the ring just fucking flaking out anyway. So who the fuck knows? It's very possible. It's very possible. So, so I think we're both in agreement. Pee Wee Gaskins going to fuck him up. Yeah. Um, now, next weekend, uh, or this coming weekend, I should say this, uh, I'm going to be doing a couple of big interviews. Uh, one of them, I talked to this guy last night on the phone. Dude, this is going to be a great, I mean a great fucking interview. Uh, Tony Campagno from uh, Spellbound Effects and Art. Really oh, funny guy. Dude, he's really funny, too, because I sent him a, an email this morning just to confirm everything and to thank him for chatting with me last night. And he's like, oh, 11 o'clock? He goes, that's when I have my colonoscopy. That should make that really interesting. Ha ha, just kidding, dude. I can't wait. So he's definitely fucking crazy, man. Uh, he's a good dude. And like you said, CK, very talented, very fucking warped with the crazy shit he's yeah, got definitely. for sale. He did the fucking severed forearm with murder metal mayhem carved Which into it. Which looks fucking so real. Dude, it's ridiculous how real it is. We had that out on the table at the Dark History Convention, and literally everyone that came by was like, oh, my God. They took their pictures with it. Fucking Borowski was fucking with it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. 
So uh, definitely anxious to talk to Tony. Um, and so uh, he's going to be sending us even some more stuff because he's going to want to do a three-month sponsorship of the show. So he's all about it. And then uh, he's also sending us finally the nipple belt, the one that we've talked about and wanted so fucking bad. I can cross that shit off my bucket list now that I'm going <laughs> to own a nipple belt. And it, it's he sent to me from Tony at Spellbound Effects and Art. So that is really cool. And then uh, the other one is with Dr. Catherine Ramsland. Uh, she is a true crime author, a professor at a uh, college. She teaches uh, forensic psychology, a very, very smart woman. Uh, she's been on a shitload of the serial killer documentaries. Uh, she's written like 60 books. It's fucking insane. Uh, she's going to talk to me about a variety of topics, but the one in particular, I mentioned this on Facebook earlier and somebody did guess it. We're going to do a major uh, serial killer for the last episode of the year uh, because of this interview. Uh, Dr. Ramsland wrote a really amazing book about BTK. So I think it's time, the last episode of the year, we're going to do some Murder Metal Mayhem BTK and uh, use a lot of that interview with Dr. Ramsland. So that should be very, very interesting. It would be definitely cool. Yeah, and we're going to talk about other stuff too with her, but that's going to be the focus is her uh, her uh, book about BTK because she does offer some interesting information i had never heard before in that book so it's very cool she corresponded with them uh in prison and some really interesting conversations so that's going to be awesome also we're wrapping up the murder metal mayhem activity book the coffee table book that should yes. be nowhere near a coffee table uh artist dathan angle wrapping it up um putting it all together uh he's working on the text with me this week um, all the interior stuff is done, uh, working on the, uh, word jumbles a little bit, the word searches and stuff, but that's going to be coming to an end. Hopefully, uh, by the end of next week, everything will be finished and assembled and, uh, the order placed. That is the plan, uh, to order the uh, new book by Thanksgiving so that they're ready for the very first part of December and you guys can order them for Christmas. So it's going to be really Christmas cool. Gift. Fuck yeah, dude. I mean, how, what, what person doesn't want to color, you know, a, a picture of, uh, uh, the couch fucker, uh, with the couch right, that's right. been fucked, uh, semen <laughs> dripping down on the floor and everything. It's fucking disgusting, but it's going to be great. So, and also you get to count, how many black and curlies are on a plate and the first person that gets it right gets a big prize. So it's going to be a lot of fun. You definitely want a copy of that book when it comes out. So we'll keep you posted. Now, speaking of books, uh, my new short story collection, uh, creation of chaos volume two just came out last week. CK, I know that uh, you got to see that uh, because you just got uh, your copies uh, in the mail. So yep. what did you think, dude? Oh, I thought Cashman did a great job with the, with the art. Yeah, Joey Gormonger um, did the artwork. It looks really, really good. Got more compliments on that cover at these two uh, author events I did over the weekend. Everybody loved the cover, loved the cover, loved the cover. So Joey got, did a got, great job. And you got a lot of great short stories written by you. And for the first time, you um, 
have a couple of guest authors. Yeah, Angel Rosa, uh, our good friend, our good friend Angel, um, wrote a story. Yep. Um, Sue Rovins, and of course, Pie Witch by Alex. <laughs> Did you read the and Pie I'm, Witch? And I'm surprised that there was not a note coming home from the teacher. I know, dude. Saying, what the fuck? I know. I couldn't believe it when she said she did that in school. Yeah, you got to read this book just for the Pie Witch because it's really good. And Alex, I talked to her today. She said she's got her copy of the book, which she just got over the weekend. And um, she said, Papa, I put the bookmark in it for my story. She said, and I'm glad it was more than one page because it was like a page <laughs> and like three sentences. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she's very, very proud of it. That's really cool. She a published author at 10, 10 yep. years old. So that's pretty cool. Uh, my favorite stories in there uh, got to be The Wreath. Uh, of course, that's the newest one, so I do like that one. And, of course, Deeper Than Dead, I've mentioned that. Uh, speaking of Deeper Than Dead, I'll be making a big announcement uh, probably in the next week or two on here, more detail. But I'm working on, finally, after all this time, that project will be uh, resurrected. Brian Usual, the artist, and I are going to work on an illustrated novel called Deeper Than Dead. The story in the book is the first part. There's actually going to be 10 total parts, but you can read that story in Creation of Chaos 2, and that's part one uh, called 99 Steps. But uh, I really like that one, CK. I know you were my beta reader, which for people that don't know what yeah. that is, is you're the person that read the stories first and gave me feedback and helped me kind of tweak things out a little bit. Um, and there's a lot of good story. I mean, I know, I'm, you know, I'm obviously a biased opinion, but I really am proud of the stories in this one. And I'm glad the October house finally got, uh, to get in the print. Yeah. Which, um, which the lore in, in that October house yes. was after my wife. Yes. Yes. The wife, Laura. <laughs> yeah. It is funny when I read stuff like that. Because I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that, you know, about people yep. I use their names or like with Officer Kovacs when I did that with you in, a, <laughs> in six. So I like doing that kind of stuff. It's always fun. Um, so, yeah, so be prepared for some new stuff coming from me. Uh, so go to creationofchaos.com to pick up a copy of uh, book or volume one, volume two. Also have... Um, my uh, Dreadful Lives of Enoch Strange novel you can purchase as well. Now, I recorded an audio version of the short story, The Wreath, which is a Christmas story, if you haven't figured out. A very dark one, though. Uh, Going to be a bonus episode next month. I think you guys will dig it. It's about 56 minutes long total uh, from beginning to end. But uh, I did it in two, CD, uh, two sessions, and I think it turned out good. So... Uh, so I think you guys will like that. I CK, you said you liked that story too. Oh, I loved it. Not only because it's um something from our <laughs> from our past to uh, who it's based on, but um it's it's just a, it's just an awesome story how how it unfolds. But um cool. Uh, you know, like I said, and anytime I read your stuff, it, it 
the way you write, it's like a movie. I can picture it in my head as a movie. So that's awesome. Um, you know. So hopefully one day, one day Angel would do something with one of the stories. That'd be great, man. That'd be really cool. That would be awesome to team up with him like that. Um, Now, um, we mentioned earlier uh, about the Brutal Rewind. I did that in the murder segment with Tex. Uh, We're going to be doing the very first Brutal Rewind episode this weekend. It's just a short version of the podcast on one topic we've done before. And so this first one we're doing, uh, Tex and I, is going to be on Carla Faye Tucker. And we're proud to announce that Shaker Cigar Bar in Milwaukee, uh, Bob Weiss over there, has agreed to be the sponsor of Brutal Rewind. Just going to be one sponsor, and it's going to be one topic. And be about a half hour, maybe 45 minutes tops. Um, Just a little update, some new news, something different to talk about. And CK, we talked about doing some metal topics uh, in there as well. Yeah, we're going to honor me personally for something to do with um, Merciful Fate slash King Diamond. Yeah, talking about Timmy Hansen and and just revisiting that because that was an earlier one. I also thought German Thrash would be a good one since that was one of our first yep. segments as well. I think the there's early there's stuff. So, yeah, there's so many other German Thrash bands that, we, that you know, we, we didn't haven't get into. touched upon yet. Right. Now, I mentioned earlier uh, we had a great time at the Dark History and Horror Convention. Huge thanks to Brian Ward for putting that together. Such an amazing time. We did a live podcast, as I mentioned, on Amityville Horror which was really cool. Uh, I did spend, CK, I spent a little bit of money this time. I was really good up until the last day <laughs> when I just, couldn't re- I just couldn't resist a new thing for the studio, an exorcism kit, a real one, dude, from the 1940s. Uh, I got it from Christopher St. Booth. If you're familiar with the Booth brothers, they do a lot of paranormal, uh, you know, documentaries and stuff on sci-fi channel. Um, they've done some really good ones, uh, children of the grave and some really, really cool shit. Um, but Christopher St. Booth was the one at the, there that weekend, a great guy, real nice. We did an interview with him as well. Um, but this exorcism kit is fascinating. It's from the 1940s. It was actually used by an exorcist here in the United States. Uh, it's got the holy water. It's got um, cotton balls that were dipped in the holy water to like dab on the person. Uh, it's got uh, candles and the candle holder and instructions. It's pretty fucked up. And so very, very interesting, very fascinating. And, of course, CK, you saw the picture. I've got that next to Dominus on the shelf, man. It's sick. It is. It is. So so I got that and uh, got a couple other things, but that was the main one uh, purchase that I made. Uh, We did some really good interviews, though. John Borowski, which we're getting ready to play here in a minute, David Thibodeau, that is a fantastic interview we did with David. He was the last person to walk out of Waco alive uh, when the Branch Davidian compound burned, hair on fire and all. He was the drummer in Koresh's band. He gave me a CD with a bunch of uh, stuff 
uh, has a lot of sermons that Koresh did, and then also a few songs of his that are uh, like religious type songs, but very interesting, very creepy. And that's going to be a really good interview, or I'm sorry, uh, an episode we're doing next month on David Koresh. And we're going to use a good bulk of that David Thibodeau, if not the whole interview in that. So we did that one. We did Christopher St. Booth, as I mentioned. Uh, Stephen Giannangelo, he is an amazing uh, true crime author. Uh, he's a professor of uh, serial killers uh, at the University of Illinois. And Steve uh, is a friend of John Borowski's. He was at the convention only for the first night, but uh, he's got a really cool Gacy collection. He's got Gacy's painting kit from prison. He's got all kinds of cool shit. Uh, So he is a very uh, avid uh, Gacy aficionado, and he's going to be in that new John Borowski movie about Gacy. Also, Donnie Weimer from Serial or uh, Killer Culture Shop, really good dude. And of course, we also talked with our buddies at Black Crypt Podcast. So we've got a ton of stuff that we got from uh, that weekend at the Dark History Convention. Sounds like you guys were busy. So we were busy, dude. It was really fun. Uh, we'll be using those interviews in upcoming podcasts. And tonight, uh, here coming up now, we're going to play seven minutes and change of this interview we did with director, producer, writer, John Borowski. Uh, He talks about his Gacy movie coming next year and talk about some other stuff. So check this out. We'll play this, and then we'll talk about it on the other side. So hang tight. All right, we're at the uh, Dark History and Horror Convention. Got uh, film producer, director, writer. He'll wash your car, he'll roof your house. <laughs> hey, you know John what? Borowski. At the last convention, I sold the shirt off my back. A woman wanted it. Seriously. Nice. Yeah. It was a serial killer shirt with all the mug shots. Oh, okay. Go so, yeah. yes. literally fold the shirt off your back. That's exactly. Awesome. That's yeah. awesome. And, yeah, I'm a man of many talents, master of none. So. Well, we've been here at the Dark History Convention, our boots across from each other. And, John, we go way back. Chris and I interviewed you yeah, last met year. You last year. That was awesome. And uh, always good to see you. And I see that you've got a Gacy film going on. I thought maybe that might be fun to just chat about and what's cooking and what can our listeners expect to see from you with that. How can they support you? Yeah, and I love your guys' work too as well. And, you know, we all help each other in that way. But, yeah, you know, Gacy is definitely the latest project I'm working on. You know, I'm still completing a Pan's Ram book on his time at Leavenworth. That's still in the works. Right. You know, but now I'm still working on this Gacy project, which has been amazing because I'm interviewing everybody that's still alive in the case. And, you know, they're older now and they're right, kind of, of course, you know, yeah. passing away. So I want to make sure I get everybody that either had some connection with Gacy or worked with him or, you know, was one of his attorneys, you know, because that's more important than just having, you know, somebody give their opinion. Of course, they have of experts course. interviews, too. Right. But, yeah, it's been great so far because every time we want to almost say, okay, we have enough interviews, more people come on board, right. which is awesome. Now, I've heard you've been doing some stuff that learning things that we don't know about. So that's kind of interesting to see 
and obviously you're not going to divulge, right, but you, you want to give us any kind of tease of I'll the type of one, stuff we're talking about? I'll give you one little thing. Now, you know, it's all, they say the, you know, devil's in the details. Well, it's especially with Gacy. It, the devil is in the details. And, you know, I want to get to those details because we know the 33 bodies. We know right. Summerdale. We know these things. I want to get into these things that I've never known. And if I don't know them, most people, most people probably won't. Right. Right. Like what I learned the other day, I actually filmed Gacy's art kit, which he painted all the pogos and the paintings with in prison. It was amazing That's experience. the one Steve's got? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, we filmed it. And also what came with the art kit was the top of these, you buy them in the freezer, they're little ice cream cups, and there's a little cardboard top you pull off, right? Right, right. Yeah. So there was one of those included with the art kit. Well, there was a legend of what Gacy would do is, so when you see the Pogo paintings, on all the Pogo paintings, there's a little button near the bottom that says, I am Pogo, right? right. Yes, yeah, I know exactly Well, Steve that. said that the, the legend was Gacy would use the top of these ice cream containers as patterns oh, for that no button. Way. And when I was at wow. Steve's place, I took it and held it up to the his Pogo painting. Was it the same size? Exact same, same size. size. Oh, really? Now, that's who cool. knew that before, right? That's, no, that's fascinating. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's I want to know all these little things that we've sure. never heard before. Sure. Yeah. So what's the name of the, the film so our people can check it out when it comes out? It's called The John Wayne Gacy Murders, Life and Death in Chicago. And I'm currently running a fundraiser, and the fundraiser is GoFundMe.com backslash Borowski Films. That's what the GoFundMe yeah, is. And it's an ongoing fundraiser. Okay. So I did it so when I go to these conventions and events like Dark History Con, I could pass out a card with the address on it, and that right. way it's an ongoing fundraiser rather than just a 30 day or a 90 right, day because right. I thought it would be smart then that way I get a monthly goals yeah and people have been amazing I was know, gonna like say I've been seeing show. you sold the uh, like art serial killer stuff yeah that people have donated to you to sell for the cause yeah, yeah I've had everything yeah. yeah I've had everything from uh, Gacy letters Ramirez Manson autographs to Philip Jablonski hair all kinds of weird stuff wow. too, that you know collectors send me to resell which is awesome sure. that helps being on your show helps so it's not always about hey I got to reach into my pocket right. it's, hey I could share the link I could say hey check out his work I could say check right. out Cross Murder Metal Mayhem right we all do that so right. it's, nowadays it's not always about money right right now uh, how I know that your your all your stuff as far as I know now is all on Amazon yes yeah Amazon so, so people could watch your Holmes documentary fish. everything all Everything, all my documentaries, my TV show, and short films are on Amazon Prime. Awesome. So if you go to Amazon Prime and you either type in my name or if you can't write my name, you know, because it's so long, you could always type in H.H. Holmes or right. Albert Fish. Sure. And, that, and then all my stuff should come up. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and I'm that's also awesome. working on books as well, you know, and that's all part of the process. Yeah. You know, we, we keep creating art and we keep going forward. Right. Awesome. Well, thank now, you, Jeff. I noticed Jeff. you got the uh, Ed Gein uh, headstone rubbing. Yes. Real quick, funny story. My buddy Joey, he went and visited Ed Gein's site and he took some dirt from his gravesite. He's got it in a jar and he's had it for three or four years and it's still wet to this day. Wow, that's freaky. Yeah, <laughs> that's to this weird. day, it's still wet. 
yeah, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I thought I would make the Edgeen, you know, tombstone print available to people because not many people know that it really kind of doesn't exist anymore. You know, it was right. stolen. Yeah, I was going to say, didn't it get stolen? It was stolen. It was eventually broken into pieces and sold on eBay by, you know, an right. exploitationist jerk. And, you know, right. so then I said, well, how do we preserve this? So I had my own rubbing. So I said, well, why don't I make prints and make it available for oh, people? Oh, wow. So that's actually prints. yours then. Oh. Yeah. Oh, oh wow. yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's cool. You know, when did you do that? To, I was lucky enough to make it before it was stolen. I was going to say, when did you do that? Yeah. Oh, that was like 90s. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, it was a while back, 80s or 90s, way before, you know, it was taken. Right. Yeah. You right. know, so, yeah. So you're saying it's not in your basement. Oh, I wish it was. <laughs> if, I, if it was, you I would need be to go fund me, right? right? I wouldn't need to go fund me. But I heard it's just in big chunks, which sucks. But right, anyway, yeah. you know, that's history, and, and I believe leaving history lie. You know, I mean, now it's kind of the in thing to, let's dig up H.H. H. Holmes, let's dig right. up John Dillinger. Right. But it's now, you know, I'm against all this sensationalism, because probably like you guys, I'm into the truth and the facts of these right, cases. The right. We don't have to make stuff up. Yeah, Why would you have crazy to Crazy enough. But, right, yeah. but now, you know, TV thinks, oh, we got to do this to get attention because the story's been told already. Yeah. Don't pull, play into it. We don't, and I'm telling your listeners, don't play into it. You know, right. we're the real deal. You right. know, you yeah. are, and I, I respect you guys and thank you for what you're doing, too. Cool. Well, thanks. Thanks, well, thanks, thanks, John. And if you would... Fuck yeah, man. Always good to talk to John Borowski. Uh, very cool guy. And CK, I know you've never met him, but you get a little taste of that. Funny exchange with him talking about that new Gacy movie. Also cool to hear Chris there, since Chris is not here with us doing the podcast tonight. Another little piece of Chris talking there when we did that interview. So. He's, yeah, so, so he's still with us. He's still here with us, even though he's yeah. on special assignment. So very cool. Uh, <laughs> thought you guys would dig that. So definitely, CK, appreciate you sticking around. Uh, we are going to hold you over through the outro, though. You said you wanted to finish out the show. Sure. So we'll fucking do that shit right now. Fuck yeah, man. That new Ray Alder. That song is called, where is it? Oh, Under Dark Skies. There you go. It's been a long night, CK. I'm not used to doing this by myself. It's so weird with Chris not being here. So I'm glad you were able to stick around and had uh, Tex at the beginning. So thanks to Tex for sitting in on the murder segment. And, of course, UCK for sticking around through the rest of it. Uh, always good to have friends in here with us, even if it's through the Internet. Um, but uh, definitely weird with Chris not being here. After 76 of these, it is very odd yeah, I'm doing this by myself. Uh, so it is weird. Uh, bumper music tonight by Ray Alder, Vital Remains and Life of Agony. Um, of course, CK, your intro music by Chrysix, the Murder Metal Mayhem intro music by Low 12. Uh, make sure you guys go and check out SpellboundFXandArt.com. Shop their extensive online catalog. They got some really sick shit. Uh, go and support them. Buy some stuff. If you just go buy one of those fucking thumb drives, it's worth it, man. Those things are so fucking cool. <laughs> those look so cool. 
I went to FedEx to get uh, something printed and I handed him the thumb drive. It was fucking epic, man. The lady was like, what the hell is this? I'm like, that's my thumb drive. She's like, wow. Uh, she was just like kind of freaked out a little bit by it. Uh, but perfect Christmas gifts for those freaks on your list. So go and check it out today. Spellboundfxandart.com. Also, check out our friends at psychokillerbobbleheads.com. Get yourself one of their awesome bobbleheads or get a T-shirt. They got that new revamped website. It's really cool. Tell them Murder Metal Mayhem sent you. They'll get your order out right away. Uh, thanks, uh, everybody out there listening. I mean, you guys are fucking amazing. We had like 2,200 listens total last week. We fluctuate from about 1,800 to 4,500 all over the place, depending on the topic uh, and what else is going on. But uh, we appreciate every one of you guys. So really, oh, definitely, it's fucking awesome. Uh, CK, we get some good comments this time around. Why don't you read uh, the first one there, dude? All right. The first one is from Linda Loves Metal 666. She commented, thanks for signing my book at Dark History Convention. I love the story October House the best so far. That one really freaked me out. That that is a great story. Thank I you. Can see why I freaked her out. Yeah, thanks, Linda. Yeah, that's a pretty <laughs> fucked up story uh, because it deals with the 1700s and a smallpox uh, outbreak in a small town in uh, Connecticut, and a doctor for the town keeps the patients at his house, and it gets a little out of hand. CK, I mean, he gets and a little it, cuckoo. It, it, was an actual real house too so yes yes yeah and one thing i do i've done it with both of the collections at the end i explain the motivation behind each or the backstory behind each story so you guys know a little bit more about why i wrote it which i think is is interesting because as a reader i would like to know why did they write this you know so i i, I kind of like doing that and i do mention that uh, that that was based on an actual house that really existed in uh, New Fairfield, Connecticut. So yes, thank you, Linda. Uh, Paul Brown sixty five commented, "You guys fucking rule, pure and simple. There's no better podcast on the face of the earth." Wow, thank you, Paul. That's really fucking awesome because there's a lot of really good ones out there. So we're glad that you fucking dig it that much, man. That's fucking cool. Yeah, we, uh, we we love doing this, so you know. Thanks for listening, and thanks for the comment. Yeah, it's very cool. What's the next one, dude? Um, another thing, comment 755 commented, I love the show, but I got to say that the metal segment is the best. CK fucking rules. Um, nice. Thanks, another thing, comment. I really appreciate it. I love doing it. Um, I love turning people on to maybe something they never heard before. So, um, you know, keep on listening. I'm going to have some more cool shit coming up. Um, so I'm glad you dig it. Thanks. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Uh, Satan's Taint 69. I love that one. <laughs> oh, that's um, a good one. I always thought Satan's Taint would be a great name for a band. Uh, <laughs> are you guys ever going to do Gein, Gacy, or Dahmer on the podcast? I know those have been done a bunch of times, but I'd love to hear what you would do with them. So, yes, the answer to your question, Satan's Taint 69, is yes. 
We are going to do every one of those motherfuckers eventually. Uh, we did mention we're going to do BTK at the end of the year. So we're going to spread them out. We're going to drop them here and there. But the main meat and potatoes has always been, just like tonight, one that maybe isn't the one that you've heard of before, those more obscure uh, because there are some really fucking interesting ones out there that you've never heard of before, or you might have heard of, but you don't know much about. Of course, Gein and Gacy and Dahmer are all much, you know, widely known cases. They're, 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 they're the rock stars. That's true. But <laughs> they're not necessarily the most fucked up either, because there's some really no, disturbing no. shit out there that you don't know much about. So, so yes, uh, we're going to do them. Uh, we actually did Gacy, kind of. Uh, episode 33 was the first live podcast we ever did at the Dark History Convention last year. And uh, we did episode 33, of course, because Gacy had 33 victims. Uh, and we did a short live episode on Gacy's artwork and the whole murderbilia topic. So definitely we're going to do a full-on Gacy episode at some point. Because there's no way we can't, but um, but we have touched on Gacy in uh, 33, but we have not done the other two that he mentioned. So, so don't forget to check out MurderMetalMayhem.com. Listen to all the podcasts, uh, bonus content, and everything. Uh, go to Murder Metal Mayhem on YouTube and subscribe so you find out when we post new videos. Um, Follow us on Twitter at Get Your Murder On. Uh, also, you can like us on Facebook. Uh, mentioned before, man, joining that 666 Club. Support the podcast on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash murder metal mayhem. Only three bucks a month. And we really do appreciate that support. So go check that out. We got a video for that on our YouTube channel. You got to go check out. Uh, that funny video we put together. That's great. It's about ready to Fucking be updated. Funny. I got a funny update for that. Uh, we haven't shot it yet, but I've I've got an idea in my head how to do it. It's kind of a play on the Godfather. I think people will think it's cool. That should be fucking yeah, great. Yeah, people are gonna kiss my ring and shit. Yeah, it's gonna be pretty <laughs> awesome. Be like a posercism type thing. Um, <laughs> you can go to creationofchaos.com. If you want to pick up one of my books, I got a brand new one out there, Creation of Chaos, Volume 2, 12 Ways to Make You Die, uh, artwork by Joey Gormonger, uh, nine stories from me, three from other authors uh, for a total of 12. It's very worth the $10 uh, price tag on that one. Buy it. Definitely yeah. buy it. Big time. Uh, don't miss next week. We're going to be featuring Fred and Rosemary West uh, from the UK. Definitely a fucked up story for sure. Uh, we got the guys from Blood Feud coming in studio with uh, Bonesaw from their label, uh, 49 Records, which should be a blast. Uh, but we can't let them go without hearing a karaoke song, CK. Now, with all the <laughs> shit that I've been dealing with and going on here, uh, I wanted to use one that I've done in the past, but it's worthy to hear again. That's for fucking sure. So enjoy it. Crank it the fuck up. And until next time, keep one foot in the gutter and your fist pummeling some poser in the fucking face. We'll see you guys next week.
stone. Live nine to five, and he worked his finger to the bone. Just barely out of school, came from the edge of town. Fought like a switchblade, so no one could take him down. No, he had no money, no, no good at home. Walked the streets of soldier and he fought the world alone And now it's 18 in life, you got it 18 in life, you know Your crime is time and it's 18 in life to go 18 in life, you got it 18 in life, you know Your crime is time and it's 18 in life to go Ricky's the wild one He married trouble Had a courtship with the gun Bang, bang, shoot him up The party never ends You can't think of dying When the bottle's your best friend And now it's 18 in life, you've got it 18 in life, you know Your crime is time And it's 18 in life to go To the wind and the child will a child